we need to think about what is our vision for what we want our kids to have, what we want our children's sex lives to have. Now, that's not really a comfortable thought, is it? Every aspect of our health is affected by the choices that we make around our sex, sexuality and our sexual relationships. Welcome to the Lessons Outside the Classroom podcast. I'm your host, John Anna, and this is the place where I interview experts and professionals about a range of topics relating to the development and growth of children. You'll also get practical tips and advice you can implement. If you have any specific topics you'd like covered, please email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com. Today, I'm, I'm really pleased to, to have on the show Emma Gledhill. Um, Emma's an educational speaker, a coach, a mentor who specializes in child and adolescent development. Um, welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're going to be speaking about a very, very emotive conversation, which is um, how, to, how to speak to your children about, about sex. Um, I guess my first question is that in today's world, do you think parents... Um, are feeling more comfortable with this conversation? Are they having the conversation at all? I don't think they really are. I don't think they're feeling more comfortable. Um, I think one of the fundamental problems is that we don't have a great working model about how to do this, which is why I think, which is why I'm so passionate about this subject. I come from an educational background and um, since the early 2000s, I've been really involved in the world of safeguarding. And so for me, this topic is all about enabling our kids to be the bosses of their bodies and to keep them safe. It's about an emotional and physical health and safety. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't have a great, a great modelling. And even though there's been a lot of work done at governmental level to look at sex and, re- sex and relationships education, as some listeners will be aware, it's going to be, it's been overhauled and come September 2020 this year, um, there'll be a new framework, a mandatory framework for all schools to uh, use. And actually, I feel that the changes have been you know, ethically and morally really right, because instead of it being sex and relationships education, it is now relationships and sex education, which is surely where the emphasis wants to be. We need to think about what is our vision for what we want our kids to have, what we want our children's sex lives to have. Now, that's not really a comfortable thought, is it? Our children don't want to think about our sex lives and we don't really want to think about theirs. But actually, we must because every aspect of our health is affected by the choices that we make around our sex, sexuality and our sexual relationships. Um, you know, relationships are at the heart of our well-being, both our physical and our mental well-being. And so it's important that we help our kids get this right. The world we grew up in is totally different from the world that we're in now. We were all curious about sex and sexuality when we were growing up. Um, you know, I remember with my mates and school library getting the dictionary out and looking up penis, vagina, da-da-da-da-da-da. But what we got were words. When our kids want to search something up now, they're going to get the whole nine yards, you know, and that's not, that's not right. You know, we've got to prepare them for this. We've got to be aware that from an early age, from right from a very early age, and if we really wind our minds back to when our kids were babies on the changing mat, they were exploring by touch. And guess what? It's a fact that our bodies have erogenous zones, which are filled with, Cells are designed to show us that there is pleasure 
in our genitalia. And our kids discovered it right on the changing mat. And, um, you know, there'll be ebbs and flows to that sort of touch discovery. And I'm sure that a number of parents have had uncomfortable moments where they've had to, you know, draw boundaries that, you know, that's not, that's not a public affair. You know, it feels good, but it's private. Um, and trying to do that without heaping shame on your child is a, an absolute tightrope walk. And the tightrope walk where we don't really have a great deal of amazing modelling. Certainly I don't. Um, but in cultures where there's openness uh, about sex and sexuality, uh, the outcomes for young people in terms of their sexual relationships are much, much better. And I guess the, the central theme here is one of communication. And when do we start this conversation and how do we, how do we go about doing them? I think right from the get-go. You know, you, you see your child on the changing mat, they, they're touching their parts, whatever. So, yeah, that feels good, doesn't it? Um, very nice, you know, but it's private. Um, so we, we, we're using many, many little tiny teachable moments right from the get-go about the body that we're not coy about um, naming the parts you know, you can you can have your family nicknames for parts, but due diligence, they need to know if they're going to be the boss of their body, they need to be able to name the parts. Um, and so, you know, we need we need to get that get that right without any sort of shyness or coyness. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, lots and lots of different resources out there. The NSPCC gives some guidance of ways in which we can talk about this from a very early age. And at the school where I'm a governor, um, right from the get-go, we use the NSPCC Panzer Private, essentially an idea that anything under your bathing suit is a private zone. Uh, and, and so early on, really early on, we should be talking about um, bodies and, and, uh, and elements of consent as well. Um, so that they have an idea that this is a private area that um, you know they're the boss of. Uh, that no one should be asking to touch it unless it's a, a, a doctor and mum or dad are present. Um, you know that those those sorts of things without wanting to scare them, but to show them that their bodies are strong, that their bodies are beautiful, um, that their bodies are you know are a source of delight. Um, but they're also private and so that they get that sense of you know wonder that it's not shameful that it's natural um and that you know everybody knows that that, that part is a nice part but it is private we shouldn't be thinking about sex talks as um something that is really difficult or hijacking we need to break it down into tiny 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 parts it's not one big conversation. It's not one and you're done. It's, it's loads and loads. It's hundreds of one-minute conversations. That, I think, is the ideal. But, and, and the other reason why you need to get in there early is because come eight years old, they start to be grossed out. They know, they know instinctively that puberty is on the horizon. They can see it in the year above. Um, some girls will be starting to develop breast buds in year four. Many of them will, you know, will be on that trajectory. So it's kind of in the ether. Uh, and so when you're talking to a kid who's going to be a little bit grossed out, you know, earlier on, they're completely wide open, um, an open blank, blank sheet. 
So it's much, much easier to start to get in there with um, the sort of ideas, you know, sooner the better. They're close to us when they're young. Um, you know, we are responsible for their intimate care and we're aware of what's happening much, much more closely. So use those uh, starting points. And particularly, for instance, where personal hygiene is concerned, it's really, really important. You know, many girls, many quite old teenagers and well-educated teenagers, they don't know, they can't name the parts of female anatomy very well. And if we look at mass culture, you know, you look at programmes like Naked Attraction on television, and people are talking about vaginas, seeing vaginas of women standing in front of them. No, I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's just not, you're not looking at vaginas unless someone is lying on a couch um, for, ready for a physical examination. Um, so there's a, even in the adult world, there's a load of misnaming. There's a load, you know, and that sort of mysterious down there. How can you keep it, how can you keep it clean? And as a governor, I know that, um, you know, five, six-year-old girls start school and they get loads of urinary tract infections. It's quite common. So we're not actually adequately teaching girls how to do basic care. They need to know that they've got a urethra, a vagina, an anus, and they need to know the covering is called the vulva. It's Latin for a cover. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's about a simple a word and its associations are really simple as well. And ideally, they need to understand that they've got labia and that how, you know, how to wipe it, how to clean it. You know, with, with boys, it's, it's a really different landscape. And what's really fascinating has been doing year five sex ed at home as my daughter's trusted adult, looking at the material side by side with her and noticing some, you know, I mean, the materials were very, very good, really good. Um, and the teacher who was delivering it in a wonderfully appropriate way. But, you know, and, and these were materials, not that the school had created, these are materials that are out there and being used by multiple schools. They're you know, very much best practice and the way to go. But you can see there's a slight bit of unconscious bias in the teaching. Um, you've got the references to male parts, and they are scientifically named, but also references to um, erections, for instance, being explained using slang terms as well. And I'm afraid I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of crept out of my trusted adult mo mo mode and sort of disrupted into laughter when um, this teacher mentioned the word boner alongside of you know, spontaneous <laughs> erections at adulthood. I just couldn't help it, you know. And, and in, in many ways, it was really good to be able to do that sex and relationships or relationships and sex education lessons side by side with my daughter and actually be the one who she can turn to and get get the deal what's the deal if I need a bit more explanation you know click on those hyperlinks and explain uh, explain and obviously when I'm doing the explaining my values and my ability to write the sort of gender bias issues that are out there you know, mm. we're not good about talking about women's parts and what effect does this have it has a big effect it has an effect not only on girls sexual pleasure in the future but it has an effect on you know the intimate relationship that they're going to have um certainly with heter in heterosexual relationships peggy orenstein's um ted talk you know i thought i was pretty good at sex talks i listened to peggy orenstein's 
uh, TED talk on her research on university age girls' sexuality and their sexual pleasure and the comparison between the way she surveyed, surveyed boys at college and girls at college um, and the way they talked about sexual pleasure and how low the bar for sexual pleasure was for young women. Um, whereas, you know, for them, it was, a, it was a good sexual experience if there was no pain. Wow. That's setting the bar disastrously low, really, isn't it? Um, whereas, you know, for, for male benchmarking of sexual pleasure, it's different. You know, it's all out there and we're a bit more comfortable, you know, to you know, think about all the sort of more friendly, user-friendly um, nicknames for a male, the male parts. You know, we talk about it in, in modern parlance quite re regularly, willy-waving, um, you know, but it's not quite the same with slang around women's parts. It's either coy to the sense of cringe, you know, your foo-foo or whatever, or, or it's, got, it's got other baggage with it, you know. I, I can't see that teacher mentioning the word pussy alongside, you know, alongside of vaginas. Just can't see it. Can you? No. no, <laughs> so no. There is something here in this comparison and the knock-ons it has in, you know, so I do feel there's a bit of work here. If we think about what we want for our kids, you know, we want them to have healthy relationships. We want them to make safe and positive choices. We want them to have correct information. And, you know, for them to be able to exercise really meaningful consent. And I'm not just talking about, you know, do you agree to this? Yes. I mean, a joyous, enthusiastic consent. That's surely what we want. You know, when our teenagers or, you know, when they're 32 and they're ready for sex, when they start embarking on those conversations. And I'm afraid with communication around this, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We need to lead the way. And if we don't do the talking, someone else will. They will get their information from other sources. Do you want it to be Mr. Google? Do you want it to be, you know, from, you know, the, the edgy kid on, on the playground? I want my kid to be on the front foot. And so when there's a load of mythology going on about, you know, in, you know, I remember back in the day in reception, my daughter, some boys trying to tease my daughter saying, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a baby out of your tummy button. And she's like, mm, not so much. <laughs> to talk to your parents about that one, you know, and I, you know, I'm like, great. You know, I want her to be able to be sort of empowered. I want her to be empowered by knowing you know, and going back to your question about when do they, you know, when to start talking, preschool kids are curious as hell about where babies come from, you know, and anyone who works in a nursery will tell you about that. Kids are curious. So let's, you know, let, let's make sure that we are their primary source. And there's no point, you know, the other myth is, well, they haven't asked me, so they mustn't want to know yet. Well, what exactly have you done to pave the way for them to ask you and come to you with this and that was going to be my my my, my next um, questions actually because just just summarising what you've just just um, been talking about I think one of the key themes here is, is empowerment because I think a lot of listeners here will be feeling potentially quite awkward um, and as you say it probably comes from how they were perhaps introduced to to sex and just to summarise this idea and I think it's very powerful in terms of starting very young with things such as body parts. Um, because some of that we've done with our, our children, and I'll be honest, we, we were we were a little bit awkward at the start. But you realise that kids actually they take a lot of their cues from you. 
You know, if you're yeah. not awkward, they're not awkward. And, you know, it's, you, you may build this up to be a big thing, but as soon as you say it, it's a, oh, okay, fine, and you move on. And I think yeah. kids are as more, a lot more, well, we, you know, hear it a lot, but they are a lot more resilient than, mm. than we think. Um, mm. and, and I think that's something that when I look at, and look at society today, um, it's this protectionism. And I think we as parents, obviously we love our kids and want to protect them. And, and there will be parents listening to this that will be shaking their head in disagreement and they'll be saying, mm. you know what? Well, I do not want to talk to my, start talking to my kids about sex, particularly um, at that young age, because surely it, it over sexualizes them. It, yeah. it kind of, it yeah. makes them, it, it makes them grow up. You know, we, we talk, mm. talk a lot about kids uh, growing up before their time, particularly with all the technology. And, and why would I want to accelerate that with, um, we're talking about something so personal and, and potentially so taboo as, as sex. So, so what would you say to, to parents who, who really have a fear uh, and a concern that, you know, bringing these subjects up, particularly at ages as, as young as you're suggesting, um, could over-sexualize them and could potentially, some may see, make them perhaps more promiscuous later on in life? Well, the research goes absolutely against that. The kids who grow up in families and in cultures where there is an openness to talking about sex and they're well informed they actually take their they, they make wiser choices and that's why the government has decided that um this change of emphasis you know it, it's actually partly to help tackle the issue that we've got in this country about um teenage pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases in in you know younger younger age groups in in cultures where there is a sort of long-standing openness to talk about it kids are better informed and they you know in other words they have been able to come across the information in a real variety of ways from from home first and then school and that's how it's always been designed to be you know don't wait for school to do it you know you get in there you get in there first be open be factual it's not like we're telling them everything as well. You know, I'm not saying, you know, give them chapter and verse, you know, but for instance, in a young age, for a young age, you know, when people want to make a baby, the man and the woman get very close together. The man puts his penis in the woman's vagina. They both agree to do this. Basic. And, and that's probably as much as a young child is going to get in one, one hit. You know, they need to know perhaps about sperm, egg, pregnancy, baby in the womb, birth, labour, a baby. They'll be curious about where babies come from. So give, you know, take, take that lead, give them those facts, give them the facts about their body parts. That is, you know, that is keeping them safe and making sure that from the get-go, you are the person, you are the resource to go to um, and that you're not afraid to tell them. You're not afraid to tell them. There's no shame about them asking so you're starting to open the windows and doors to an easier communication without the sort of bodily taboos that, that are going to come up when they're a little bit older. Only a little bit older, come eight, there's going to be disgust. Oh, the body. Ugh, I'm going to get pubic hair. Ugh, you know, uh, you remember it yourself. You know, um, it's all disgusting. Um, and, and, and that's part of the natural sort of social and emotional development of a child. They're looking ahead at the you know, at the inevitability of adolescence. And there's something a little bit scary about that transition. So we, you know, we have, we have that gross factor 
that kicks in there. And it's totally natural for them to have an aversion. But it throws all sorts of clouds over this sort of open and easygoing communication. So we're, you know, we're really keeping it very simple, very factual. They can name the parts. They, they know where babies come from. Um, and you start at that point <clears throat> to, put, to put in stuff about consent, about agreement. People agree to do this. Um, you know, and that's really, that's really important. We start to sow the seeds that this is, that is not just a mechanical process, but that this is something that is also about intimacy. You know, the average age in which kids see porn, like it or not, is 10, right? Wow. Wow. 10. Yeah, because, you know, lots of parents give their kids smartphones. And once they're on 4G, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. There's no filtering or monitoring software that can stop them accessing whatever they like. So they don't even have to have a smartphone. Just someone in year five has to have a smartphone. And bingo, they're on it. Yeah. We've all seen kids clustering around a phone on the street or on the bus. You know, what do you think they're looking at? They're not necessarily looking at porn, but I'm saying they have access to it. And it's on sort of sleepovers. It's when they're outside of our values. For me, what I want to be doing with, with, you know, the kids who I work with, what I hope for them is that they understand, by the age of eight, they understand about sex and sexuality. They might have, by eight, they might have some idea, they should start to have some idea about sex and pleasure. And again, just the, just the headlines. This is not like a lecture. This is not us delving into depth and telling them all about the ins and outs, right? Um, it is about them being aware that sex is also something that people do for pleasure, not just for creating babies. You know, and this is when the smartphone conversations are going to start. And I, you know, when I do digital parenting talks, I'm often asked, you know, when should when when is when is a child old enough to um, have a smartphone you know and I would say well when you when you've done with a talk about what could be seen what can be seen cannot be unseen and before you know when when my child is in a situation when uh, she might be invited to look at something I want her to have the knowledge to know what's out there and what she might be saying yes to because she could be saying yes to something that um, is way beyond what she's ready for. And it probably will be way beyond what she's ready for. Pornography um, has a corrosive effect on children's brains and their sense of attachment and intimacy, particularly if they're getting access to pornography and it's unfiltered by any real discussion, any real sort of parental moderation or mediation. And I, I am not saying that parents should introduce their kids to pornography at all. I'm saying parents need to explain to kids that pornography exists. It's out there. And they might see that. They might see that while they're bumbling around on YouTube, for instance. And, you know, they might be watching a series of funny little video clips and uh, something cues up next, which is more sexual than they would like. They might be playing a game online which has adverts in it. And some of those adverts may, again, be a little bit more sexual. They won't be sexually explicit generally, but they may hint at sexual activity or they may hint at sexy images that, you know, your kid's not really up for. And you want 
you want your kid to be able to come to you and talk about that. Otherwise, fear and fantasy or curiosity gets gets in there first. And you know, young people who start to rely on pornography, not just for information, but then they also start to get get the pleasure elements of it. They are visually stimulated. Their curiosity is stimulated by it. They are getting a dose of the worst sort of sex education that we could possibly want them to have because the pornography that they'd look at online is not industry standard where you have to actually click through buttons and confirm your age and give credit card details. They're looking at the stuff that does not meet industry standards. They're looking at, you know, stuff that we have utterly no control over. So, you know, we need to be realistic. And then again, this again goes back to keeping our kids safe in the world that they're in um, and helping them think ahead a little bit, think around the idea that porn exists, that it is not for kids. You know, the word sexy, we, you know, we're talking about sexualization of kids. Sex, sexy images are around all, all over the place. You can even buy T-shirts for teenage girls that say the word sexy on them. You know, it's really not appropriate. And there should be more conversations about boundaries to do with the word sexy. They should know, you know, what sexy means. And they should know that sexy is not an, it's not an appropriate word for, to be used to describe kids, to label kids. Um, it's, it's for adults. Sex is for adults. Sexiness is for adults. You know, they should have ideas about board lines and thresholds. So this is absolutely not about being permissive or being a gateway to um, sexualizing our kids. It, you know, sexuality is all around us. It's in pop songs. It's, um, you know, on billboards. It's on news feeds. It's all over the place. So, and, and they, they are going to pick that up. When I was training as a teacher, I remember being on a school trip on a coach, and this is going to really date me, but um, it was Samantha Fox, who was a page three model um, you know, for younger parents here. She was a page three model in the sun way back in the 80s. And she brought out a hit and it was a hit. And it, it went like this, touch me, touch me. I want to feel your body, your body next to mine. And there are millions of songs like this in the mass, mass consumption. And I remember feeling deeply uncomfortable on a bus with a load of seven-year-olds who were all singing these lyrics. They were singing these lyrics with complete innocence. And I certainly wouldn't want to change that. But, you know, it really goes to show that if we actually think about some of the cultural stimuli that they are getting, they're getting it repeatedly again and again and again and again. Every time they hear that song, some of the ideas, some of the way that, that dialogue goes, it's all wiring in. So we need to do some wiring in of our own to talk about sexuality that actually has our values, our values about what intimacy really is. Porn doesn't teach you about intimacy. Porn, porn comes in, you know, sort of at a little, at the most sort of visually interesting, I suppose, if you like that sort of thing. It comes in partway through. It doesn't show the sort of buildup of trust, the buildup of consent. It just is wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. <clears throat> and it's showing, it's, what it's doing is it's normalising, it's normalising the sort of more Olympian elements of sex and sexuality. So what you have 
are teenagers who think you don't have a sense of first base, second base, third base, or whatever. You know, there's no sort of sense of graduation. And you, you know, you have teenagers with ripped anuses going to casualty because you know that that you can't get pregnant by anal sex. So you know, and it's there, seen it done on porn. Um, so let's let's do that instead. Again, it's misinformation. It's misinformation, and the sorts of stimuli out there normalize normalize the word sexy for a start. Normalize it for you know, utterly mass consumption, children included. And also, <clears throat> if they get into looking at porn, they, it normalises a fictional relationship. It's fantasy. What they're looking at is fantasy. It's not reality. And so, you know, what they expect from their first sexual encounters, it doesn't actually make the grade. Not if someone's been really habituated to watching porn. They're just not going to get satisfaction from having sex, not having sex in a, in a relationships context. So it messes with attachments. So yeah, I, I, I think we've got to be realistic about the world we're in. I think we need to be ahead of the game with playground chit chat. And we definitely need to be ahead of the game with um, sort of curiosity and things they might stumble across on the internet. Um, and it's all about keeping them safe and putting those values in there and knowing that the more those conversations are happening and actually the power of each gender being um, being involved, you know, each parent being involved. Clearly, if you're a single parent, there's only one parent there. And if you're in a same-sex couple, you know, you're both involved, frankly. But quite often, mums talk to girls dads talk to boys and actually they they need an integration of both those perspectives um so you know and and there's some been some great research in the states for instance about the effects of of paternal father disengagement um that it affects women's sexual decision making uh it affects you know it affects their outcomes uh so it it, it really is helpful for girls to talk about and feel they can talk about sex and sexuality with both parents with fathers as well as mothers but they get you know they get the male take on things as well as the female take on things and the same for boys I think that's really really valuable you know we worry about boys um, being on the wrong side of consent and we worry about girls being on the wrong side of a sexual assault Um, but actually both are vulnerable to both of those things so we need to get real and we need to be responsible. Um, and we, you know, we if we don't want them to be ashamed, we need to make sure that we do our own wash down. And we, you know, and that's where the empowerment comes from talking about it. It's what we talk about is what we can be open about as a family. You know, if something bad happens to our teenagers, we want them to be able to come to us and get support and get help. They won't do that if they feel we're going to judge them or if they feel we're a closed book. You know, things can go wrong. Things do go wrong um, in teenagers' lives. Not every relationship is a hit. But we all want to make sure our kids feel safe in their relationships and that we're not, you know, we're not keeping our heads in the sand and they're involved in something that really isn't good for them. And 
if you're a parent that you know understands the need to speak to your child children about sex but for whatever reason feels deeply uncomfortable doing that what advice would you give them get on amazon uh, or go to a bookshop and browse around a number of books that unpack you know that make it simple that help have starting points and talking about sex and sexuality with kids there's a there's a lovely range of books out there um uh, and I, I i shy away in a, li- a little bit from actually sort of recommending set books because i do think it's important to look at it for yourself and to look at ones which actually mesh with your own comfort zone mesh with your own beliefs and approach so do a little bit of research you know, go to your school go to your school and ask what's in the library can you have a look and see you know and again try 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 to sort of de de-escalate this in your mind you know there's a fab us study about five years ago um where they talked to thousands of parents about did you tackle the tough issues with your kids aged eight to eleven and they all said you know they said yes we talked about sex yes we talked about hiv yes we talked about aids and then they asked their kids and their kids didn't remember their kids, you know, they, they, you know, according to the parents, they'd had the conversation, they'd had the conversation, but actually the, it didn't stick. It, you know, it was just one, you know, we have thousands and thousands of conversations with our kids. That's our privilege. That's a, the amazing power. It's about wiring things in little and often. So I would say, look at, look at some books out there. You know, I mean, there are some, the couple of books which I quite like from the US. One's called It's Not the Stalk for kids aged three to six. And the other one is called What's the Big Secret? The It's Not the Stalk book is by Robbie Harris and Michael Emberley. So if you look that up as a starting point on Amazon, you'll get a whole trail of stuff as well. Um, if you are a little bit later getting off the blocks with this for seven to nine plus, there's a book called It's So Amazing. Uh, it's a book about eggs, sperm, birth, babies and families. So it's called It's So Amazing, a book about eggs, sperm, birth, babies and families. Uh, that, again, is by Robbie Harris and Michael Emberley. So that's the follow on book. Um, there's also the girl's body book, the boy's body book. You know, at the moment, with all the discussion around the changes to relationships and sex education, Schools have been really tasked to be open, transparent and you know, consultative with parents. Consultative, not that actually parents are able to give permission or withdraw permission from some of the uh, relationships and sex education uh, teaching, but, but that parents can actually find out more. Um, so you can ask the school to show you some of the resources they're going to be using. That's a perfectly reasonable ask. Um, the sex and relationships education policy or RSE policy as it should be called from September 2020 it ought to be on your school's website it's a great place to start because then you know you know by the time they're five what they're going to what they're going to be talking about you know and they you know in reception they are going to be talking about naming the body parts so that's an easy way to start yourself in there um, and and it's just a question of you know um, you, you know we call this your PP it's actually called this, you know, we call this your bum, it's called an anus, you know, and, and actually at the beginning, kids find this hilarious, you know, the word vagina, you know, I don't know, 
um, it, it, creative rhymes come out. They find it hilarious. You can laugh together. You can bond together. Releasing serotonin. Be prepared to laugh with your young children. Um, and that's hugely bonding. It doesn't have to be a stressful situation. It can be fun. You've just got to put up your pull up your lady pants and man pants and get on with the job. You know, it, 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 it's this big big boy, big girl stuff. You know, and and you know who else do we want them to learn it from? Really, you know, yeah, we want them to be there in a biology lesson. Um, you know, learn about the stamen. Uh, you know, the flower diagram. You know how. In biology, when you're in year seven, you suddenly segued from, you know, the, the flower parts to, oh, and there's a vagina and some fallopian tubes. You know, we can get in there a little bit earlier and at least make sure they, they know what they're doing, as I said earlier, for hygiene purposes, if, not, if nothing else. Help them understand their bodies from the inside out and feel proud of them, you know, and, and isn't this amazing? You know, aren't these, these bodies are amazing. You know, I, I don't want, you know, when my daughter is going through puberty, she's going through puberty right now, you know, I don't want her to feel that, you know, it's all horrible. I want her to feel, you know, wow, this is an amazing, your, our bodies are amazing. They are changing. This is so exciting. You know, do you know that, you know, woman's vagina is the strongest muscle, stronger than a boxer's punch, you know? It, and it has to be to help push a baby out into the world. You know, so much, for instance, about girls' puberty is put in terms of, you know, weakness and hassle. You know, you're going to bleed once a month. It's going to be painful. Well, not necessarily. Um, and, you know, boys get erections and ejaculations. Girls get periods. Whoa, you know. And boys similarly need to understand that what's happening to their bodies, you know, once they've got that message that their bodies are private um, and that, um, you know, self-stimulation, erections, all, you know, all fine, all natural, all healthy, feels good. Well done, you've discovered that, you know, well done, you've discovered your clitoris, that's wonderful, but it's something we do in private. But they need to know, they need to know so they can be the boss of their body. Um, there are ways in which those sorts of ambiguities, those coynesses can be exploited. And kids who are able to be assertive around their parts and their privacies, they are much more protected from abuse. The point we need to remember is that more than 90% of children, if they experience sexual abuse, they experience it from someone they know, someone who's close to the family. Um, and it's, it's exploiting those grey areas. So know grey areas, know your parts, know that if anyone tries to touch those parts those parts are private pants are private as they say in the nspcc and that message can be given out at nurseries you know that's it's a framework that's used in nurseries pants are private and the third aspect is and if anybody tries to touch you there or makes you feel uncomfortable um you need to tell us even if they tell you to keep it a secret you know it's as I said right from the get-go it's uh it's about health and safety on so so many levels emotional physical sexual um they need to know and they need to know about consent they are the bosses of their bodies linked to that you know we need to fly the flag for consent because this is a big problem you know in our teenagers we know this from numerous numerous studies that ideas about consent are 
blurred lines as the rap song goes we need to be very very careful and actually making sure we're not eroding consent if we're going to teach our kids that they're the bosses of our bodies we need to we need to be at least from time to time going can i give you a hug would you like a hug so that there's that and also with friends of the family and grandparents even to say that it's their call if they want to give if they want to give a hug they give a hug but you know that in 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 our family we you know it's about it's about asking it's about consent and it's not about eroding that by saying well you know yes you've got to give consent but not when not when grandma asks for a hug you know it, it, it's actually a, it's a thing if they don't feel like hugging they don't have to hug and we have to be the grown ups around around that and help them express their bodily autonomy and not have that eroded i think that's a, an extremely important point uh, in terms of the consent yeah we'll be be wrapping up so this has been a fascinating um discussion um, a couple of takeouts i'm i've got here is you know one in terms of let's remove the shame you know the only person mm. that can create the shame is probably us as parents so when we when you talk earlier about you know young kids of one two three-year-olds touching themselves putting their hands in their pants you know it's up to us to create that create the environment that isn't a shameful one to acknowledge that it's normal but actually there are boundaries around it and um, the second mm. thing is this idea of protection because as, as a parent you know we want to protect our kids and what i'm hearing here is is the best way we can protect our kids is by empowering them and actually giving them the information to make informed decisions and i think that's really really strong and and actually it, it, it for me it changes the dynamic of this conversation completely as to as to one where some parents may be thinking oh it's sex oh i can't talk about that to actually you're, you're doing something absolutely positive for your child and the last thing i'd like to do and this might may be a bit unfair because i know that everyone's different um one thing i would like to do in my podcast is is give parents some i guess practical pieces of advice into, can we go through the age ranges and, and roughly, and I know it's going to be different for all, mm. all parents or family types, but I'd like to give a bit of a framework to, to parents um, that they yeah. can at least, get, to at least get them started. Yeah, okay. Um, one thing I would say is just think about where, when and how. So let's start with the practicalities. You know, make sure you've got a good space for a captive audience. Not like shining a torchlight in their faces and saying, now we're going to have sex talk. But for example, when you're side by side, you know, the changing mat is a very sort of intimate place to be and a natural place to be able to talk about body, for instance. But moving on from there, thinking about, you know, when you're side by side, you might be preparing some food together. You might be on a walk together. You know, you might be in the car. The car is brilliant because, you know, you're not face to face. There's not like intrusive eye contact. Um, and make sure it's not the talk uh, and keep it short, keep it short and sweet. So preschool, preschool kids can show a very intense and sometimes quite an intrusive interest. You know, how did I get in your tummy? Where was I before I got in your tummy? You know, those sorts of questions. How did I get out? Where do babies come from? How did I get in your tummy? How come girls don't have a penis? You know, all those sorts of things. How come girls don't have penises? So all of those questions, so they will begin to learn about their own body. So it's important to teach proper names for body parts. Um, you know, making up names sort of gives an idea that there's something bad about the proper name and also not incomplete information about you know, the bits, particularly for girls, because that's where, in a way, there's the biggest gap 
you know, and I was quite shocked that I taught a class of A-level students, 18-year-old girls who could not name the vulva or the clitoris. I mean, maybe they were a bit shy in that forum, but, you know, we, you know, we sort of got there eventually, but I basically stopped my A-level English lesson and talked about anatomy. Um, so thinking about the names for body parts, it can give them the idea that there's something bad about the proper name. And also, you know, for example, with girls' hygiene, you know, what is, you know, I've got an itch down there is not very precise. Where is itchy? You know, of course, you might want them to show you, but you might not be in a place where you can be shown. If you can have a bit more of a conversation about exactly what's itching, you know, you're going to be a lot less worried, for example. Teach, teach your kid which parts are private, which parts are covered by a bathing suit, you know, um, and to teach a little bit about consent. You know, can I see? Can I see? Can I change you? Yeah. Of course, you, of course you can, but, you know, you were starting to have those sort of comments. When we're answering their questions about uh, where babies come from, we are going to use that sort of uh, idea that I said before. When people want to make a baby, man and woman get very close together. Man puts his penis inside the woman's vagina. They both agree to do this. So there's a sense of the fact, uh, the sperm, the egg pregnancy, development of the baby in the womb, birth, labour, baby. Really factual, really simple, short and sweet. And remember, it's going to be lots of little conversations. Just because you, know, you have delivered that in, in one hit, they will have forgotten it. A few, a few weeks later, they've probably forgotten it by the time it's tea time. Um, so <laughs> it's something you're going to need to go back to a few times. And try not to laugh or giggle, even if their question is cute. You don't want them to be ashamed for their curiosity. So those are some ideas about with um, with the little ones. You know, try not to be overly embarrassed because you know they 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 catch it. You know, they've got mirror neurons; they can see it in our features when we're embarrassed or upset or um, you know on edge. You know, try not to be overly embarrassed or overly serious, and be brief. Don't go into a long explanation. You know, answer in simple, age appropriate terms your four four-year-old doesn't need to know all the details of intercourse just what goes where sperm egg baby um, and I think also a really good thing to do is when you have that little snippet of a conversation ask them does that answer your question um, be prepared to you know, listen to them and be prepared to repeat yourself uh, so four to five years old they may show an interest in sort of basic sexuality their own and that of the opposite sex they may ask where babies come from. They may want to know why boy and girls' bodies are different. They may also touch themselves and show an interest in the genitals of other children as well, you know, playing doctors and nurses, etc. But your kid, you know, those aren't those aren't adult sexual activities. They are signs of normal interest, but they need to know what is right to do and what is not. Hence that sort of setting limits to exploration being a you know, an important thing to do and a family matter that that part of the body is private. It is private for you. It's private for your friends. It's private for everybody. Nudity in public is not all right. Um, that no other person 
including even close friends and relatives may touch their private parts. They are the boss of their bodies. And the exceptions are doctors and nurses during physical examinations and parents when we're trying to find out the cause of any pain in the genital area. Um, five to seven, you know, sorts of questions. Why do boys get erections? What is a period? How do people have sex? Um, why do some men like other men? You know, they, there are a few schools now that don't have some same-sex parents around the place. Um, so our kids are going to tune into this. And this is why you know, the relationships and sex education has been geared up to reflect the world that we live in. You know, so that there will be some teaching of protected characteristics when it comes to different forms of families, different forms of relationships. So they're learning much more about how people are getting along with each other. They may become more interested in what takes place between adults sexually. And um, questions may start to become a bit more complex as they're trying to understand the, con the connection between sexuality and making babies. They may have their own explanations that they come up with. So it's just important to help them understand sexuality in a healthy way. Um, you know, and, and the lessons that they and the values that they get at this age will stay with them. So this is a very, very important age. It will encourage, you know, so it's our window of opportunity, but pre it's all disgusting to really instill those values and wire them in. And so here it's where we can look at books that are appropriate for their age, use them as a scaffold and also to do it without surprises. So, for instance, give them the book and say, you know, I'd like you to have a look at this and then to, for instance, read it together, um, you know, so that it's it's something where there's a scaffold. You might have the chat with them with that book as a scaffold. So you can point to, you know, pictures, for instance, they can take that book away and, and read it again and think about it and get it out during their playtime and, you know, come back to you. And so, you know, again, have I, you know, is there anything else you want to ask about it? Is there anything else you're curious about that's come from looking at that book? Um, so it's a good, it's a really good window of opportunity. So, you know, don't be shy, I would say, don't be shy. Eight to nine, they have a very clear sense of right and wrong. They're able to understand that sex is something that happens between two people who love each other. So this is where sort of ideas about intimacy and love, relationships. They may be interested in how you met and fell in love, the origins of your relationship. Um, so and as questions about romance, love and marriage arise, they might also ask about other forms of sexuality, homosexual relationships too. And so this is a time when you can discuss your family's thoughts and feelings, you can discuss the religious contexts, you can discuss you know, society, you know, that society has active protections in law to prevent prejudicial behaviour against these groups, um, for example. Um, you know, so we can we can enable them to understand where these types of relationships fit in in our values the values we believe in re religious context social context legal context those sorts of things you know and explaining i think that loving someone doesn't necessarily depend on gender and it's different from liking someone sexually so you know those sorts of ideas 
And at this age, I think it's really important that we're preparing them for the changes that are going to happen at puberty. As they become more aware of their sexuality, it's important as well about uh, talking about delaying sexual intercourse until they're older. You know, all those all those ideas about it's for adults and it's for the context of a grown-up relationship where you can talk about each other's body parts without being embarrassed, you know, and it's definitely not for kids. You should also start to talk about, uh, you know, if you're starting to talk about sex for pleasure, you'll have to mention something about contraception and safe sex um, and sexually transmitted diseases. So starting to, um, you know, starting to actually expand that world a little bit. But I would say that certainly the emphasis needs to be on preparing them for puberty. Girls are hitting puberty. Girls are hitting the onset of puberty earlier than they did in the 80s. It's gone down from 14 to around the age of 10. And we want them to feel comfortable in their own skins as their own skins are developing. You know, they're not going to necessarily be having periods um, at 10, but if the average age of breast buds starting is 10, some are going to be starting that age eight. So we need to be on it. We need to be on it. And if we're on it for girls, we need to be on it for boys as well. Um, you know, but boys tend not to hit puberty until a, a little later, until still 13, 14. So um, it is important we prepare that. And I'm just going to say an aside here. If you have a child who... Um, is on the autistic spectrum, it's super important that you prepare them for this because often there are um, there, there can be quite a lot of distress that comes with the onset of pubic hair, for example, and the tactile changes of that and being needing to be able to process all of that change safely takes a lot of you know, emotional support and care, careful setting up of that. And of course, if your child is on the autistic spectrum, you should be able to access some specialised advice around around that. But yeah, not to be not to be on the back foot. Um, and older kids, not an ambush. I've got this book. Do you know about this? You know, in teaching, we talk uh, about um, starting. The starting point is what the kid knows already. So, what is it that you know? Um, and of course, if they if they if they're not used to these sorts of discussions, they'll be quite a closed book. So again, maybe starting with the book, you can read it together. You can read it yourself. We can read it together. Let them choose, discuss the headlines. But the bottom line is you need to talk to them about sex and relationships, whether they like it or not. So don't, don't just wait. It's not just like vampires waiting. You know, this is a really important part of your life. And I want you to have to be successful and have successful relationships. So it's really important that we do talk about this and that we can talk about how to make, you know, I, I get that it's embarrassing, but we can think together about how to, you know, how to do this in a way that is helpful for you and, you know, helpful for me to do my job, which is about making sure you, you know enough to keep you safe. Um, so that is where we really do need to pull on our grown up pants. You know, again, puberty, changes of the body through puberty, you know, the, the brain and the body are changing faster during early adolescence than at any other time outside of the womb. It's really quite a quick, rapid development and it can really affect their sense of self. So, you know, we want to make sure that their self-esteem, their sense of self is still there. 
that they understand that they, you know, there's a roller coaster of their feelings and that is normal and natural. They're not going nuts. You know, that's really important because there, there is a volatility that comes so that they understand more about, the, about puberty, a lot more information about it. It's what they are actually going through and therefore helping them feel empowered around that process, that it is, you know, what's normal. Um, the hardest part of it is the first conversation and they still need to do it over and over again. And ideally, they need to be filled in before they have sex ed at school, not to be blindsided by someone at school telling them that one day this will happen. That's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. I, mean, I, I love the idea of a scaffold um, mm. in terms of using a, a book as, as a bit of a, a prop and a bit of a tool. Um, but I think mm. what's there is you've given a really, and again, I know it's going to be, it's not a Bible, and I know it's going to be different for all for every parent, but I think it's useful um, for parents, guardians, just to have a bit of an idea of of what type of things they should be um, speaking to their to their children about. Um, mm. Emma, this has been amazing. I, you know, I could actually go on for <laughs> for uh, for another hour. Actually, there's a lot more that I'd love to um, uh, discuss, and maybe we can have you on another time. And for anyone that that wants to find any more about you, what, where can they find you? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, I have a website, um, emmagledhill.com. And so there's a little bit about me. There's stuff about the stuff I do for businesses. I do parent talks in businesses. I do parent talks at schools. I also do well-being talks in schools for kids, as well as training for teachers. Um, I, also about the coaching that I do. I do one-to-one coaching for um, parents and older teenagers. Um, but on the home page of my website, you can sign up to my newsletter. I do at the moment. I'm doing a weekly newsletter, which is both for parents and teachers during the COVID lockdown period. And so I talk about all sorts of ideas to do with handling anxiety, what parents can do, what teachers can do to talk to kids about their anxieties, to work on sleep and well-being, all sorts of things like that. So sign up to sign up to my newsletter if you like the cut of my jib and the sound of what I'm talking about. It is psychologically informed stuff uh, on well-being for families. Um, centering on sometimes centering on our own mental health that's so important so emmagledhill.com and the parenting uh, newsletter is called parenting with purpose and um, no marketing creep at all brilliant emma um, this has been fascinating thank you so much for your time thank you thanks for inviting me take care i hope you enjoyed listening to that episode You can subscribe for free to get notifications whenever a new episode is released. And remember, reviews are always welcome as it helps new listeners find me.